We're continuing our series on the Gospel of Matthew. I think over the course of the series, CB and Ben have done an outstanding job teaching us God's Word. Amen? Amen. Thank you guys so much for instructing us and for rightly dividing the Word of Truth. Turn with me, if you will, to Matthew chapter 21. Matthew chapter 21, the title of my message this morning is The Vineyard Owner's Son. Jesus is continuing his instruction before the religious leaders and others. And this particular passage does a few things. It shows us God's gracious provision for man. It shows how patient God is with man's unbelief and rejection to truth. It shows his love in sending even his only son to redeem sinful men. But it also explains to us God's righteous judgment that awaits those who reject him. So let's dive in. I'll begin by reading in verse 33 of Matthew chapter 21. Jesus is speaking and he says, Hear another parable. There was a master of a house who planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a wine press in it and built a tower and leased it to tenants and went into another country. When the season for fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the tenants to go get his fruit. And the tenants took his servants and beat one, killed another, and stoned another. Again, he sent other servants more than the first. And they did the same thing to them. Finally, he sent his son to them saying, they will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and have his inheritance. And they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. When therefore the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? They said to Jesus, he will put those wretches to a miserable death and let out the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the fruits of their seasons. Jesus said to them, have you never read the scriptures? The stone that the builders rejected have become, has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruits. And the one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables, they perceived that he was speaking about them. And although they were speaking, seeking to arrest him, they feared the crowds because they held him to be a prophet. Let's pray. Father, We are delighted today that we can gather together to bless you with our worship. And Father, we thank you for your word. And we ask that the Holy Spirit would teach us this morning. And that we would receive your word with joy. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. The vineyard owner's son. The first point Jesus' illustration. Let's look at verse 33. He says, Hear another parable. There was a master 
of a house who planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a wine press in it and built a tower and leased it to tenants and went into another country. Jesus shares a parable about a landowner who went through great length to develop for himself a vineyard that would produce much fruit. Now, I have to admit something. I'm going to confess something to you guys. I took a class many years ago at Liberty University called Biblical Archaeology. It wasn't the most exciting class in my field of study for me personally. Have you ever been in a meeting or a seminar where the topic isn't very interesting and the instructor is very boring? It's almost torturous, right? And I was bad. Now, I paid for my college tuition. My parents didn't at the time. I I was paying for it. So I, I tried to take responsibility for my education, and I would sit in the front row of every class to maintain attention and but this class, I found myself incrementally going toward the back as the class went on. And I would put my hand like this with my pen and make it look like I was writing, but I'd try to sleep. So he, And he couldn't see my eyes. It was terrible. And I confessed that before the Lord and I repented. <laughs> and we used to hope so bad that he would show movies. You know, of ancient Egypt and ancient Israel and all that stuff, because it would be dark and we could sleep. (laughs) And I used to think to myself, when am I ever going to use this stuff? When am I going to use Old Testament backgrounds and what kind of houses the Canaanites lived in and all that stuff? I never, when am I going to ever use anything about vineyards and stuff like that? Well, today I get to use it. Because one of our discussions in that class happened to be on vineyards and cornerstones in the ancient Near East. And because God is sovereign, I happen to be awake for that lecture (laughs) and attentive to what the instructor was saying, what my professor was saying. And God, who knows all things and is sovereign over all things, knew that decades down the road that I would be assigned to preach this text by C.B. Etter, who probably was in college at the same time debating secular humanism with his professors and had no idea that he'd be having me speak on vineyards and stuff like that. So here it goes. Stay awake. I want to see the white of your eyes. You know, we've heard that before, haven't we? But Jesus says, There was a master of a house who planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a wine press in it and built a tower and leased it to tenants and went into another country. Stone walls or hedges were built back in Israel or in the ancient days by an owner of vineyards as a way to protect the vineyard. Hedges, if they used hedges, were made of thorn bushes. Now, if you study thorns in Israel, you'll see that they look a lot different than they do here. The ones here in our pretty little rose bushes in our gardens are about that big. But if you go to Israel and you look at Thorns, if you look at the crown of thorns that Jesus had, they were about that big. They were huge. They were violent looking. Um, And they did do violence on our Lord's head. Very, very scary things. And these, these thorn bushes or these walls were meant to keep out animals who liked to eat grapes or thieves who wanted to steal the grapes. And the landowner would also dig a wine press in his in his uh, vineyard, which would be used then 
when the grapes ripened, the grapes would be squeezed into basins and would run down a trough, and the workers would then collect the juice or the wine or whatever in the wineskins for storage. But he also had a tower, and Jesus is sharing all this stuff. And the landowners, what they would do is they would they would have a tower, and that would act as a lookout uh, if there were any people who wanted to invade the vineyard. It was also used as a storage shed for the wine. It was also used for shelter for the workers. And in this case, the landowner decides to rent out or lease his vineyard to men who are hired to tend the vines. And then he leaves and he goes to another country or goes on a jury, a journey for a while. And Jesus continues in verse 34 and he says, when the season for fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the tenants to get his fruit. The owner of the vineyard was, a, was very eager to learn how his vineyard was doing, if it was producing well. So when the first wine was ready to be consumed, he sent some of his servants to the tenants with a request that they send him samples of the wine that they had produced. But there was a problem. Verses 35 and 36. And the tenants took his servants and beat one, killed another, and stoned another. Again, he sent other servants, more than the first, and they did the same to them. What a strange turn of events here. You see, the tenants had it really good. The vineyard was in excellent condition for cultivating. They had the trust of the owner as to how it was operated. He wasn't micromanaging. But they were not content with what they had. They were greedy and ambitious and wanted it all for themselves. The tenants not only did not fulfill the landowner's request, they physically accosted and even killed the owner's servants. He sent out servants and, and they brutalized them. And when word got out to the landowner, he sent out another group of his servants, more than the first, and they also became victims to the violence of the tenants. Confronted by the word of this treatment by the tenants of his vineyards toward his servants, look what the owner does here in verses 37 through 39. Finally, he sent his son to them saying, they will respect my son. Let me just stop there for a second. D.A. Carson once wrote something concerning this text. He said, here it shows the landowner's forbearance with his wicked tenants. What patience this landowner had toward these people. And we can learn something from the landowner. We can learn that when we are opposed and acted wickedly against, we too can show forbearance. Moms and dads, parenting is not easy. And you may have unbelieving kids who oppose you, who brutalize you with their words, say hateful things toward you. 
things that pierce your heart because you love them so much. Ask the Lord to give you patience with them and to respond to them in a manner that would glorify God. Don't return evil for evil, but overcome evil with good. Pray for your child. Affirm your love to your child. Evangelize your child. But what patient endurance from this landowner toward those who would act so wickedly against him and his servants. In verse 38, but when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, this is the heir, come, let us kill him and have his inheritance. And they took him and they threw him out of the vineyard and they killed him. This is such a tragic parable and a very dis- it's very disturbing to say the least. The landowner believed that the tenants would respect his son since he had delegated his authority to him. But they didn't. The landowner shows remarkable patience with them and they show contempt in return. They treated his son just as they treated the servants. They met him with arrogance. They met him with rejection with hatred in their hearts against him. And what do they do? They murder him in cold blood. They knew who the son was. And they thought that if they murdered the son, the heir to the vineyard, they would inherit it. It would be all there. Verses 40 and 41. When therefore the owner of the vineyard comes, Jesus says, what will he do to these tenants? And they said to him, he will put those wretches to a miserable death and let out the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the fruits in their seasons. The story has definitely caught the attention of the listeners. Those in attendance appeared to show pity for the betrayed vineyard owner and an indignation toward the heartless and brutal tenants. And so Jesus quizzes them here. And unbeknownst to them, they kind of give a prophetic answer. In their self-righteousness, the religious elite rightly determined the proper ending to the parable, that the irate owner of the vineyard would first severely punish the wicked tenants and then replace them with others who were reliable. The owner of the vineyard would destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others. In other words, judgment was coming on them. My friends, one day judgment will come on all mankind. Revelation chapter 20 states that the books will be opened and all the dead, those of great affluence to the poorest, from the most known in the world to the unknown, will stand before the judge of the world, Jesus Christ. And at this time, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ 
is Lord. And the book of life will then be opened and all will be judged according to what they have done. And it will be a day of great wrath for unbelievers who will be judged for their unrepentant sin and rejection of Christ and will be cast into the lake of fire. If you're here today and you have never repented, one day you are going to bow before King Jesus and it will be too late then to ask for a second chance. It'll be too late then to repent. So please, won't you bow down now and confess him as Lord and have your sins forgiven. He has been patient with you. He has been forbearing with you. Even though you have done wickedly, broken every sin in the book. Every day you wake up and every breath you breathe, that is the mercy of God. His patience being displayed in your life that you would come to repentance and know him and serve him and love him and glorify him. Please. Because one day it's going to be too late. Point number two, Jesus' explanation. Before we examine verse 42, we can't miss the point of what Jesus is stating in verses 33 through 41. The vineyard represents God's nation of Israel. Isaiah calls Israel the vineyard of the Lord, Isaiah 5, 7, which says, For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel. God adopted the people of Israel as his people. He brought them out of Egypt. He cared for them by nurturing them, causing them to grow. He expected them to be fruitful, to manifest their fruitfulness in holy living. Israel was to manifest the glory of God to all the inhabitants inhabitants of the world. But instead of bearing good fruit, the people brought forth spoils. And rotten grapes as they committed spiritual adultery against their creator. Jesus clearly intended the servants in the parable to represent the treatment of the Old Testament prophets. And how they endured suffering at the hands of the religious elite in the Old Testament. The people. God in his kindness and his forbearance sent prophets. To warn Israel of their sinfulness. But in return, the prophets were hated. They were rejected. They were scoffed at. Jezebel massacred prophets. You can read that in 1 Kings 18.4. Jeremiah was beaten and called a traitor. Ezekiel was rejected. Elijah and Amos had to run for their lives. Micah had his face smashed by those who refused to hear his message. Zechariah was murdered in the temple. The Old Testament bears witness to the Pharisees and the Sadducees' murderous hearts. And actually, if you read on later in the same day, Jesus confronts the scribes and the Pharisees and he says to them, Woe to you! Scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. 
For you build the tombs of the prophets and decorate the monuments of the righteous, saying, If we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have taken part with them in shedding the blood of the prophets. Thus you witness against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. The actions of the religious elite, though they supposedly honored the prophets that came before them, they were exactly like their ancestors, their forefathers. They, they were filled with malice, and it, in the end, they would prove themselves to be just as guilty, disrespecting, rejecting, plotting, and killing the Son of God when they should have been honoring him. And God, the owner of the vineyard, will condemn them for their rejection of the Messiah. And to reinforce his point, Jesus turns to a familiar passage in the Old Testament. Jesus then speaks of the building industry of his day, and he says in verse 42, Have you never read the scriptures? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in your eyes. According to ancient times, builders would come and they'd select from a pile of stones the best ones and they would use it for building a a structure and then they would toss all the defective stones aside that could not be used. And Jesus quotes Psalm 118, verse 22, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The psalmist imagined another builder, one coming along and noticed one of those stones that the first builder had thrown aside and he not use, and then he goes and uses it, but not only just as a part of his house, but as the cornerstone. And here the reference is Jesus again. Though he would be rejected and mistreated like the son in the parable, though he would be discarded and considered defective, by those who supposedly knew about such things, he would become the cornerstone, the most important figure in redemptive history. And the religious establishment was without excuse. Like the tenants, they knew Jesus was the Son of God. But they refused to accept him. They gave him the, and give him the honor due his name because he was a threat. He was a threat to their ungodly control and prominence over the entire Jewish system. Selfish ambition. The motivation to elevate oneself or put one's own interests before another's. Someone who is contentious, filled with arrogance and pride. God says it's a sin that is always crouching at the door, Genesis 4-7. It's the preoccupation for wanting prominence, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Oh, and if, if we're not careful we can all become slaves to this vice. And if you struggle today with selfish ambition, ask God for the grace to change your gaze off of yourself and onto the one who bore that sin on the cross. 
The secret to freedom from slavery to selfish ambition is to keep looking to Jesus. Because when you look at Jesus, you'll see how great he is and how not so good we are. If only the selfishly ambitious religious leaders looked to Jesus and submitted to him as Messiah. But most did not. Point three, Jesus' application. Therefore, I tell you, Jesus says, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruits. And the one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, and when it falls on anyone, it will crush them. Here, Jesus is giving application. Because in their hypocrisy, the priests, the elders, and others would lose their privileged task of caring for God's vineyard. If you look at the first half of verses 43 and 44, you see that Jesus is reiterating judgment on unbelieving Israel for her ungodly leaders. And in the second half of verse 43, he pronounces the inclusion of Gentiles into the plan of salvation. Do you remember when John the Baptist came on the scene in Matthew chapter 3 and expressed that if the Pharisees wanted to be water baptized, they would have to bring forth fruit in keeping with repentance? Remember that? Fruit of salvation is living a life that has renounced sinful ways. Philippians 1.11 says, Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Colossians 1.10 So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. The religious elite of the day would not turn from their sin and repent and therefore could not produce good fruit. People are gathering this morning in buildings all over our nation. People are religiously attending services today. Right now, in this moment, there are people who do not know Jesus attending church services. They may identify themselves as Christian, but they have never produced godly fruit in their lives. They're spiritually dead. They go to church because mom and dad go to church. They go to church to make themselves feel better about themselves. They may have a worldly sorrow over things that they've done wrong, but not a godly sorrow that leads to repentance and a changed lifestyle. There's no godly fruit being produced as a result of a converted life. It's heartbreaking. It should break our hearts. We might even have family members who are doing this right now that are not converted. It's heartbreaking. Especially those denominations that have rejected the authority of Scripture. Our family passes a building every Sunday on our way here. It's a denomination that has rejected revealed truth, rejected the authority of Scripture. And those people are probably not hearing the gospel there. And some of them may even believe they're Christians, but may not be. There might be even some here, right now in this room, who fit into that category. Keith Green, one of my favorite singers, once said, 
Going to church doesn't make you a Christian. Just like going to McDonald's doesn't make you a hamburger. Chew on that one. It's funny, but it's not. Multitudes will stand before Jesus one day and say, but Lord, didn't I do this in your name? And and didn't I do this? And they'll say, depart from me, you worker of lawlessness. I don't know you. The religious elite were faithful in Jesus' time in their attendance to the temple. But as we'll see in a minute, they were tripping over Jesus. But the religious elite of Jesus' day would not turn from their sin and repent and therefore could not produce fruit. The good news is that it was part of God's redemptive plan from the beginning to include the Gentiles in the plan of salvation. Jesus is not only the Savior of the Jew, but also the Gentiles. Romans 9, 25 and 26 says, as indeed, he says in Hosea, those who were not my people, I will call my people. And her who was not my beloved, I will call beloved. And in the very place where it is said to them, you are not my people, there they will be called sons of the living God. Aren't you encouraged today that you and I, if we have been born again, are sons of the living God? We can rejoice in that. That condemnation no longer awaits us on that final day. But he'll say, enter into my rest. But because they were tripping over Jesus, the cornerstone, they would fall. And they would be crushed by him. Anyone, for that matter, who does not repent and turn from their sin will be crushed by Jesus. That's a hard message. But it's the truth. Just as the Father has given salvation to the Son, he has also given all judgment to him as well. And we see that in John chapter 5, verse 22. For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son. And final point, the reaction toward Jesus. Verses 45 and 46. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard this parable, they perceived that he was speaking about them. And although they were seeking to arrest him, they feared the crowds because they held him to be a prophet. These guys weren't oblivious. They knew exactly who Jesus was talking about. They knew exactly who the vineyard owner was. They knew exactly who the vineyard owner's servants were. They knew exactly who the vineyard owner's son was. They knew that Jesus was addressing them. They knew that they were the objects of Jesus' denunciation. They knew they were the evil tenants in the vineyard. They knew they were the builders. 
They knew he was speaking of their condemnation, but they didn't care. There was no conviction of sin. And without conviction of sin, there cannot be repentance. And without repentance, there cannot be salvation. There cannot be salvation if the gospel is not preached and the gospel was standing right before their eyes, living and speaking to them. And all they wanted, all they wanted was to have the vineyard owner's son silenced and were determined to make sure that he would be. But because they feared man more than God, they held off arresting Jesus until they were convinced they can turn people against him. We're a sinful people. And yet God has provided for us the scriptures, which from beginning to end point us to the Messiah, the Christ. Jesus. The question is, are you part of the nation, which is which includes both Jews and Gentiles, who have turned and renounced their sins and entrusted their lives to the Lordship of Jesus Christ? Have you embraced Christ, the chief cornerstone, or are you tripping over him? Are you part of of the chosen people who live and bear much fruit. His sheep know his voice. His sheep have heard his call to follow him. And his sheep, by the grace of God enabling them, produce good fruit. Unbeliever. Won't you believe? God has shown you such patience. He has been forbearing with you, not wishing that any should perish, but that you should reach repentance. Won't you please turn? Won't you please renounce your sinful ways? Bow your knee now. Before it's too late. And trust in the Lord. For salvation. CB would you come up and close us in prayer please. Thank you John. Let's pray. Lord, we marvel at your patience. We marvel at your patience with this world. But Lord, we also marvel at your patience with us. We have deserved having your justice come down upon us. And yet, you are slow to anger. 
and you have been forbearing, not desiring that we should perish, but that we should come to a knowledge of your Son and come to saving faith. We want to thank you for your patience with us. We are sitting here this morning because of your patience with us. And Lord, we marvel also at your patience with the world. We know, Lord, that you desire all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth, and therefore you're giving it another year, giving it another year, working, moving, giving more time. You you are such an amazing God, provoked every day, and yet give it more time. I'll send another servant. I'll send another servant. Lord, there's no one like you. We marvel at your character. We thank you that you're this kind of God. And we just praise your name. Lord, we pray that the unbelievers in our family, in our extended family, would embrace you and would not trip over you, precious cornerstone. We ask that you would move to save, Holy Spirit, the unbelievers in our family, some maybe, as John mentioned, who may even be going to church and maybe even in a church right now, but it's it's mere form, but their hearts are far from you, Lord. Many of us in this room, we remember those days ourselves in our own lives, and we just ask for you to have mercy on them right now. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would move on their behalf and you would save their souls. You would open up their blind eyes to see the precious cornerstone, Jesus Christ, your son, and they would be saved, Lord. We pray for the lost around the world, that you would move on their behalf and you would save. And Lord, here we are, send us and use us to be a means of your gospel going forth to the ends of the earth. Use our church. Help us as your people to be a patient people, forbearing, as John had mentioned. Help us to repent of how quickly impatient we can become and how much we can lack forbearance and lack your your character, Jesus. And I pray, God, that you would transform us to be a people that have eyes of pity and compassion on this world the way you have, Lord. And we just want to thank you for being such an awesome God. We love you and we give you praise for who you are in your unchanging, immutable ways. You are awesome indeed. And we love you and worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. What a wonderful, patient, and glorious God we have, don't we? John's going to be in the back reading. Church, have a wonderful week. God bless you.